Well, good evening. Welcome to uh, Purpose Church. It's good to have you here. We're going to be flipping around a little bit in our Bibles. If you don't have one, it's fine. Most of the passages will be right behind me. If this is your first time, my name is Brian. Uh, I get to be part of the staff at Purpose Church. It's an absolute joy. Uh, tonight, we are looking at a topic that we probably don't talk about because it's a little easier if, uh, uh, if I see no evil, then there is no evil. And if I stick my head in the sand, then everything goes away, and I don't have to worry about it. It's kind of like if... Uh, uh, when you were growing up, if you thought you saw something and it was a shadow, you just pull the covers over your head and all of a sudden it's victorious and you don't have to worry about it because the blankets destroyed it. And so what we, th- what we do is we go, okay, spiritual warfare and Satan and we go, ah. Or, so we either ignore it or we have such a fascination with him and with demons and the demonic that we forget about it. And so he really does succeed because he takes our attention off of Jesus and gets it on himself. Because really, honestly, that's really all that he can do with a follower of Jesus. So if you're a follower of Jesus tonight, you can't be possessed. You can be oppressed if you've opened yourself up to sin. Can't be possessed. But if all of a sudden he gets your focus off of Christ and onto him, then he's succeeding. And so what we want to do is we want to look at the topic. I'm going to be honest. Having to study for this for the week is kind of a bummer. It's kind of a, it's, it's not like I sit there and go, I feel so great about this. And I knew, I said last week, I told a couple of you, I was like, this is, this, this is the topic this week or this next Sunday. And I guarantee you this week is going to suck because I always have to go through what it is that I'm going to preach the next week. I'm still praying. I'm still looking for that passage in scripture that talks about this is how you win the lottery gracefully. God has not let that happen because I figured he let me live it first. But Guys, we have to at least talk about it and talk about him because I think it was C.S. Lewis that worded it something like this. The greatest, accomplish, the, accompl- the greatest accomplishment of the devil is to make a world believe that he doesn't exist. That's like his greatest accomplishment. So well, here's what we'll do. If he doesn't exist, then we blame each other or we blame God. So think about it. Maybe you're here tonight. You're not a follower of Christ. You don't want anything to do with Jesus. But my question is, or you don't even believe in God. My question to you is this. Did it happen because logically you came to that conclusion? Or did it happen because at some point you feel that God failed you because it should have been something else that happened and you're putting the blame on someone? Maybe it doesn't deserve it. And so our goal is to look at it and for the next two weeks, because guys, there is absolutely, I don't know how Glenn got through all the dinosaurs last week in like 40 <laughs> minutes. And I'm just sitting there going, I can't even write. What's the point? I can't keep up. So there's no way when I said, hey, can I go two weeks in this? Because I think that the first week we have to talk about who is he and what's he do? Like, who is the enemy and what's he do? Like, what are, what are his actions? And then next week, this is how we combat him. I mean, this is how we go up against him. And guys, but I want you to get this. He lost. So, I mean, it's not like you have to sit there and worry, am I going to make it? You're going to make it. It's kind of like this. I remember someone describing it like this. Does it, who remembers the first Gulf War? Remember that one? First one? I only lasted. Um, George H. George W. H. Bush or whatever his last or middle, middle initials were. The first one. And it lasted not very long. And when, when Saddam Hussein and Iraq was leaving, what did they do? Do you remember? They let all the oil fields on fire. Now, it wasn't going to change the outcome. It was just a pain in the rear to have to deal with. That's kind of what the enemy does. So if Jesus has already won, he's already, I mean, the enemy has been displayed as beaten on the cross. He's just creating as much havoc as possible until he's done. I mean, that's really all that it is. 
And so we're going to pray. We're going to jump into this. Again, I don't want us walking home or going home and going, okay, I really want to make sure I understand this. I got a Ouija board. I'm going to play with that when I get home. No, no, stay away from that. That's not application that we want for tonight. Don't open your minds up to that. But we want to deal with it, and then we're going to come back next week and talk about this is how you fight him. Fight, fight it. Okay? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would lead and guide our topic tonight. And God, we want you to be the focus of it all. Um, we thank you that you're in charge. Uh, we know that we have an enemy. Um, but I pray we wouldn't give him as, give him as much credit, but that we, wouldn't, um, that we wouldn't ignore it either. And so, God, thank you that you are sovereign, and may that give us peace. We pray this in your name. And everyone says, amen. If you're writing notes down at all, I know that you sat there and was like, there's no outline, Brian. Well, I'm not Glenn. Okay, so I don't do outlines hardly ever. I, can't, I, don't think it, I think it's been like uh, 15, 16 years since I actually put an outline together. But here's, here's one little tweet. If I was to sum the whole thing up in one little tweet, I would say this. If we don't know who our enemy is or how he works, we won't recognize when he is attacking or how to fight him. Here's the thing. You can keep ignoring and just keep getting slapped around and going, oh, I still won't believe. And if you sit there and go, I don't believe, did, do you realize that you are in agreement with the majority of American Christians today. Now think about it. The majority of American Christians believe that there is a God and that there are angels. There's a majority of American Christians that do not believe in demons or an enemy. Why is that? Because we really are addicted to all the good while ignoring all the bad. What do you do if there's, if there's something on TV that all of a sudden it just hurts your heart and you can't, I can't watch this? What do you do? Turn the channel to something that makes you a little bit happier. So we believe in God and the Angels, remember touched by an angel? That's old school show. Remember? And you knew, you knew when the end was coming because all of a sudden they started, they, they, the camera shot made it look like they're, oh, they're starting to elevate. And all of a sudden they're glowing and their hair's different. And then they're, they're like, oh, they're, oh my gosh. And we're like, this is the most precious show I've ever seen. And then, so we love that, but we ignore the enemy. So here's what scripture says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12. Paul writes this to a church in Ephesus, and he says, finally, this is like the last bit of advice he's given, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, and we'll talk about that next week. Uh, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That, you know what that shows? Is that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. So he's saying, okay, this is what you're going to do. You can't do it by yourself. Put on the full armor of God. And here's the purpose, that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. So we're not, it's not like we're worthless in this. It's not like we have no power in this, but we have Jesus, okay? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now I may read that passage and some of you still sit there and go, I still don't believe in that. That's okay. The only person that you would be disagreeing with that's really the one that I hold to with everything is Jesus. Now here's the thing. If Jesus believed that there was a literal devil and that there were demons that he drove out of people, and if this same Jesus was able to predict his own crucifixion and then predict his own resurrection three days later, I'm convinced that he's the guy that we should be basing all of our life upon. Because if anyone can, can predict their own resurrection from the dead, they've got some respect from me. And so even if you're not a God-fearer, you don't know where you're at with Jesus, at least you got to give him credit for that. You say, I don't even know if I believe that. I don't think Jesus was all that popular. Guys, he had to have been popular, and there's no reason that the church should have been able to move like the church has moved since he left. This is a guy who grew up in 40-square-acre town Nazareth, 
And millions, if not billions of people have surrendered their lives to him over the centuries, giving up their lives, many as martyrs for the cause of Jesus. Cultures, societies, nations have been changed because of the teachings of Jesus. And he started in what? Little redneck town Nazareth. And friends, even your birthday is connected to his. Because don't we say B.C. and A.D.? Our whole calendaring system is based on the fact that this little guy was born. And so even if you're not a God-fearer and you're not a follower of Jesus, you have to at least do something with Jesus because there's been no one on the planet who has more, had more of an influence on the planet for so long than him. And it shouldn't have happened. And so here's Jesus saying, yeah, he's even looking at religious leaders in his day and he's saying, you're like... You're like the father who is the devil, like your father, not the father of heaven. You're like your father who is the father of lies. You're like your father, the devil. And he makes him a person, not just this idea, not just evil that's out there, but he makes him a person. You're like your father, the devil. He's been lying from the beginning. So what is he calling the religious leaders of his day? Bunch of liars, just like your father, the devil. You don't follow God. You follow Satan. That's got to be a little bit... Oh, gosh, what's the word? Divisive. <laughs> That's got to be a little irritating. When some guy that you don't even respect to be a rabbi or teacher, but the crowds love him, all of a sudden he calls you out to be following Satan. Guys, if you all of a sudden, we, it's, it's weird. We think Old Testament God is me, nasty ogre God, and then Jesus came and he's always nice. And I can't tell you that if Jesus came up and said, hey, you're like the devil, I'd be sitting there going, oh, I got it, yeah. I'd be offended. Like, no, he's super nice. All New Testament, he's nice. Like, God calms down. And I brought this up in, at flood on Thursday. Have you ever read Revelation when Jesus returns and just beats the snot out of people? He's like, oh, maybe just walk up. Hey, calm down, Jesus. You're getting kind of fierce. So I look at that. I go, guys, even Jesus comes out and says, I believe in this. I see this. In fact, he even looked at his disciples once. Remember, he sends them out two by two. This is kind of a tangent. Believe it or not, I have those. Okay, so sends them out. There's 72, sends them out two by two. They come back because they saw all these miraculous things happening, people getting healed and people, people repenting. It's this crazy stuff. And so they're telling Jesus as they returned with joy. You know why they returned with joy? And this is, again, another one. They returned with joy because they were in the process. They were on a mission. Here's the thing, if you're bored as a follower of Jesus, it's because you're boring. It's not because of Jesus. Like, you're not in the game. You ever, t- okay, you ever just had to sit and watch people who went on vacation and then they come back and show you all of their pictures and just prayed for the rapture or death because you're like, I don't care, I wasn't there. But if you're in it, if you're on the trip with them, aren't you like, oh, I remember that, that was amazing, that was so much fun. As Christians, if you're not involved in the game, you hear all these stories that are happening, you're like, oh, that's no big deal, I'm kind of bored, I wish something would happen. And here God is saying, I want you in the game. But they return with joy, and this is how Jesus kind of, it kind of steals the joy, if you're, if you're honest. It's like, oh, we saw this, 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 and Jesus goes, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Oh, never mind. I guess I'm done. 
I mean, how do you beat that? I mean, that's like trying to beat like an astronaut story who walked on the moon at a dinner party. Hey, man, my job is really tough, and I'm not sure if I'm able to make the sales quota. And some dude's like, I walked on the moon. Oh, well, you win. Okay, I don't know what to say now. Guys, here's the thing. When Jesus throws that, I saying, I saw literal Satan fall from heaven like lightning, which means he was cast out of heaven. Which then points me to this as an encouragement to you. If, you're, if someone is cast out, that means someone has to cast them out. Which means that God is sovereign over all. That even in the book of Job, God, or God sets up limits on what it is that Satan can do with Job. When Job comes, or when Satan comes in before God in his presence and says, oh yeah, I've just been wandering to and fro, just kind of bored. And then God says, have you considered my servant Job? Now, if you were Job, wouldn't you prefer not to have your name mentioned at that moment? <laughs> like at some point, you're like, oh, stop it. Oh, this is going to be a horrible day. And it's like Satan comes and says, the only reason he worships you because you've given him everything. Because that's kind of a harsh thing to say to God. And, and yet, would it be true for us? Would it be true for you? The only reason, and put your name there, the only reason that so-and-so worships you is because you've given them so much stuff. You've blessed them so much stuff. You took it all away, and they lost it in a day. They would not praise you. And so God says, what? All right, he's yours. Just don't touch him. Like, you can take all his stuff, just don't touch him. When he says, just don't touch him, that's a limit, right? And Satan has to obey. So he comes, remember, in one day, he loses all of his wealth, which is all his animals, and there's a ton of them, and then all of his kids die. Can you imagine getting the news, hey, you've lost your home, what, lost all your money, what, lost your business, what, all your kids died. One after the other, after the other, after the other. That's a bad day, friends. Why God allowed, I know that someone jumped to that conclusion, why God allowed if he's so good, I don't know. That's the thing about the why questions. You ever notice why and how long? Aren't those the two questions you ask God that so often he will not answer? Because what if how long is 44 years? Because we always think it's going to be quick. Okay, God, how long? A week? Sure. A lot of weeks. What if he said 44 years? Would you have hope to continue? So could it be the most gracious thing for God to not answer that question? Because what if it's today and it's over? But he knows how long it will be. And why? What if it has nothing to do with you? What if it has everything to do with somebody else coming to know who Jesus and that problem and that trial you're going through has nothing to do with you and your comfort but that someone else might know who Jesus is? So maybe in his grace, he does not answer those questions because he actually cares about us too much to do so. So then, Satan goes before God again. Says, have you considered your servant Job? Actually, God says that back to me. He considered my servant Job. Job's like, oh, again? He goes, ah, oh, yeah, the only reason he wastes it is because he has his health. Take that away. Curse you to your face. And what does God say? All right, he's yours. Just don't kill him. That's not good. Because you know what you can do to people before they die? But what does God do again? Sets a limit. And Satan has to obey. All of a sudden, Job breaks out in these boils all over his body. He's in agony. Guys, he's even taking a broken piece of pottery and just scratching himself, trying to find relief. And the whole time, he doesn't know heaven's perspective. And the whole time, he's trying to figure out this whole thing. But in that passage, in those first two, two or three chapters of Job, it gave me this huge realization and this huge encouragement that God is sovereign over everything. 
And he's even so good at his job of being God that he can use his enemy for his own purposes. Because at the end of the book of Job, how does it end? Where Job says, okay, I had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you and I repent. He has this encounter with God and it all started, why? Because an enemy wanted to attack. And God said, you can, but only this much. So guys, if scripture's bringing it up, Gosh, and Jesus talks about it, then maybe there's some validity to it. Now, somebody said there and go, yeah, but have you ever met those people that there's a demon behind everything? It's like, it's like you're, <laughs> how many of you ever walked along? Like you're walking on the street and you tripped over something, but then you try to play it off like you didn't. You know what I'm saying? So it's like you're walking along across the street and you go, and then you look back like, what was that? And really it's you. You're just kind of clumsy. Okay, so you do that, and so you'll have someone going, that was a demon. They were trying to trip you up. Oh, I pray against the demon of cracks in this asphalt. I mean, it's like people get nuts about it, and so everything's a demon. Anything that's bad is a demon. It's kindergarten teacher theology. I'm not saying every kindergarten. It's just when you get to take a kindergarten and go, hey, God made the bee. The devil made the stinger. Everything that's bad is the enemy attacking, so I'm not believing that, and even scripture doesn't teach that. Do you catch that? In Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 to 25, they should be behind me. And when, and he's, this is Jesus, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Now, the scriptures seem to think, hey, there's some physical things that we go through that really don't have anything to do with demons. And here's, I'll, I'll prove it even more. So his, so his fame, this is Jesus's fame, spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. So do you see the difference that, this, that Matthew's making as he's making this statement about it? It's like, hey, they brought all these people to Jesus. Some were possessed by demons. Some were epileptics. They had seizures. Some were paralyzed. Then there's all these various diseases. But he doesn't say that all of them are of a demon. And so if you've ever prayed this way, I want to pray against the spirit or the demon of cancer. I don't think it's necessary. I don't. And that's speaking from someone who watched my wife go through it. And not once did I pray against it. You know what I found? I found peace in in that situation. It's not to pray against something that wasn't really the reality. It was to trust in the sovereign plan of God. And that if she was supposed to die, I, I did. I prayed this out loud. God, if this is her time, you have to help me get through this because this one will kill me. I can't change it. But if it's not, then to your glory. Whatever you want to your glory. As long as we keep going bad as devil and good as God. And, and yet, by a show of hands, how many of you have watched God do something amazing in your life? Because some trials have come through your life that gave you a whole different perspective you never would have seen without it. See, in the midst of it, you don't like it. You beg for it to go. And God, with his heart breaking, goes, I know this is painful, but you gotta trust me. And then when you come through it, you look back and there's a whole new perspective. And because of that perspective, you can... You can pour into the life of others. Now, for those of you who raised your hand, and maybe it hasn't happened yet, but how many of you have run into someone who has gone through something as they're explaining it to you? You sound like you're listening to yourself because you've gone through it yourself, and then you can say, this is what God has done through my stuff. Put your hands way up. Yeah. 
And how do I know that that's godly? Because it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Why do you face difficult times? So that you can be the comfort of God to someone else who goes through the exact same thing you face. So how good does God have to be at his job to use his enemy for God's own purposes? That's the thing. And as long as we keep walking around and trying to look for a demon everywhere, we get our focus off of Jesus and onto all this other stuff and blame every single little bad thing. Guys, he's winning. He's not going to win the battle, but he's winning our affection and our attention because he takes our eyes off of Jesus. Now say it. I hate the devil. You say, I'm not supposed to hate. I think there's a green light on this sucker. Like, I just think this is okay. Like, God gets He's like, I know you got some hatred. Get the devil. Just hate him, because I do. I can't stand him. And if you've ever, if you've ever experienced spiritual warfare, it's like, well, how do you know what it is? When you start looking at the titles of our enemy, accuser, have you ever just sat there and had some accusations just float into your mind? You're like, where in the crud is that coming from? I've had that. I could be, guys, there's been, there was one time, I was going to share this next week, but you know me. I'll just keep going. <laughs> Guys, there was this one time. I'm 12 in the morning. I wake up and I hear this. You're a horrible father. You're a horrible husband. No, you can't preach. No one cares about what you're saying. No one listens to what you're saying. You're a horrible pastor. I mean, I'm just hearing it constantly. And I go into my boy's room. I'm like, why am I in here? They're sleeping. Why did I go in there to read? I should go downstairs. I can turn the light on. So I have my little phone. And I was on this thing, like, read through the Bible in a year. You know that thing? So I was like six months behind on that. And <laughs> literally, <laughs> that's why I don't even know him anymore. Okay, so I'm reading it, and I'm on Isaiah 43, and I marked it in my Bible. I date it, 2012. This is when it happened. In fact, being that you don't have any outline, I don't have, care if, I don't have to keep going with my notes. Here we go. Isaiah 43. Remember, I'm freaking out. I'm like, why? I'm not No one cares. God doesn't care. I'm letting him down. No, not good at anything. Can't preach. Can't do anything. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I mean, right there. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Oh, I'm just sitting there. Try not to do that ugly cry. You know what I'm saying? It's not like when it's a cute little, oh my gosh, that's like a Hollywood moment. No, I'm talking about that. Okay, so I'm trying not to do that. Keeps going. Verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. I remember I'm feeling overwhelmed, and God's like, it's not going to consume you. You're not going to end here. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are, catch it, precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. What did God use? To speak to me against the accusations that I heard. His word. And I lost it. I'm on my face in my boys' room. They're just conked out in their beds. And I'm bawling. And I heard by faith the question. By faith, I just believe it was. Why do you love these two? Brian, why do you love these two? I said, because they're my boys. And by faith I heard, me too. Me too. It's like, Brian, that's why I love you. Because you're my boy. It has nothing to do with what you have achieved. It has nothing to do with what you think you're connected to. It has everything to do that this is what I say about you. So who is our enemy? Oh, he's a jerk. 
Ezekiel 28. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay for that one, but it's worth it. Here we go. Now, here's the thing. As I was reading commentaries and commentators are disagreeing on this passage, I even, as I'm reading this, John Calvin, anybody like a back, like, like, like Christian history, uh, church history, John Calvin is like, we love John Calvin. John Calvin and I would completely disagree on this passage. I was like, ah, oh, bring it. Okay, so here it goes. I, he would say, this is not a picture of Satan. And I would say, this is the perfect picture of him of what he's like, how he started, and what came from it. Okay, so he's, this is a, a, a lament against the king of Tyre at the time, and I still think it fits for him. But now listen to the wording that Ezekiel writes that God leads him to write. Verse 11, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. And that sounds like a pretty one. And and crafted in gold. That just sounded like some wax. And then crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. Now catch this. On the day that you were created. Now here's the thing. Guys, Satan is a created being. He's not eternal like God. He's not immortal. He has a beginning. God never has had one. And so he's created. So he has limits. So on the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. And here's one of the reasons I cannot picture that God is saying, yes, this is just for the king of Tyre. Because why would you ever call someone else the guardian cherub? The guardian cherub, you know what their one job was? They were in the closest proximity of God, protecting the holiness of God. And so he says, this is, was your position. I placed you, which shows that God has sovereignty and power. You were on, I placed you, you were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire. You walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, for the midst of the stones of the fire. Catch this. Now watch this. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. So if you always have this picture, when you think of Satan, he's in red, wearing pajamas, the cape, he's got a pitchfork. Okay, that's what you're always picturing. That is not the picture presented here in Scripture. You know why? Because Lucifer was gorgeous, beautiful. And I don't want to bash, I don't want to bash other religions, but they're wrong. So here's the thing. When Mormonism starts because Joseph Smith goes into a cave and has an angel of light, Moroni, give him golden tablets that he can then write out what it is that God wants us to know. And then Moroni takes those golden tablets so that we can't figure out if it's true or not. And then really says all these things that are supposedly historical. And yet the Smithsonian Institute comes out and says there is no historical archaeological backing to base any of their declarations upon to be found to be true. It's not like the devil showed up and bred Jamma's looking all nasty and said, hey, I got a message for you. He comes and he deceives. He says, I look amazing. He knows that he's filled with pride. And so what's the greater tactic? Scare people toward him or entice them? If he looks legit and he says, I'm an angel of God, he can lie because that's the only thing he knows how to do. What is more effective? 
to scare them toward himself, which he can't, or to entice them thinking that they're going after God. He says, you were, oh, you were beautiful. You were perfect in beauty. You had all wisdom. And then you, f- you sinned. You're filled with pride. Isn't that what he says? Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. And I cast you to the ground. Guys, that's, I think that that's the perfect description of what our enemy is like and how he started. He started out beautiful. He started out as a being to worship God. But what made him fall? His pride. You ever wonder why in Scripture that God says, I abhor pride? Because didn't it all spur from there? And really all the sin that we then do, is it not spurred on by our pride? It's the, it's the center. It's the source. And a lot of times all we deal with is the, is the, uh, the symptoms. And God's like, no, the source is pride. So whether you're holier-than-thou self-righteous or pagan over here doing anything and everything that you want, it's all pride. Here I can save myself and here I don't need anyone. Isn't it really the same thing? I can save myself and I don't need to be saved. So how does he work? We'll we'll close up pretty quick. 45 to 50 minutes or so. I'm just joking. (laughs) When you laugh, it hurts. (laughs) Okay. Genesis 3. This is how he does it. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he, this is the serpent, said to the woman... Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Do you see what he did? What do you make of, what do you make of question? God's word. Did God really say that? Guys, he does the same thing today. See, we have this book written over 1,500 years. 1,500 years span. I mean, over 40 different authors. Three different continents. Three different languages. And yet a cohesive whole. On every moral issue, it's the same answer. I mean, can you find 100 people in downtown Claremont to come to the same conclusion on the topic of abortion? No. And it's the same day, same community, same culture. So a 1,500-year span, three different continents, three different languages, and yet it's cohesive. Guys, I think that's proof. Archaeologically, it's proven. If you want text criticism, it's proven. I mean, so we look at this, okay, so this is reliable, And the first thing that the enemy will go after is, did God really say? Now that for some of you, you love spending time in the Word, and you were in it. And if the enemy comes along and says, did God really say? You would come back and say, no, he didn't say that. I've never seen that. And yet for others of you, you don't pick up the book. And so if the enemy comes and says, did God really say? And you're like, I don't know. It's not Sunday. And I don't have my pastor's number. I'm not not in this for real. No, you should do every once in a while. You should pick this up and read it. Because if you want to know God's will, you got to know his word. And if you want to fight the enemy, you have to know what it is that he is twisting this stuff. So he says, did God really say, did he actually tell you, you shall not eat any, any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, well, we may, eat of the tree, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, here's the thing. Did God ever say, don't touch it? No, he just said, don't eat of it. Now, here's the thing, be honest. How many of you would have made up your own little law there? Okay, I can't touch it. 
I won't even, I can't eat it, I won't even touch it. I would. I would do it. Now, some of you guys are so smart. You go, why do you even make that tree? Answer that. <laughs> That's the one thing I can't get over. That's Christianity. He made a tree that we could have and eat. We could actually eat and have a decision and make a choice. And isn't it weird that we want the choice until it goes bad, then we blame God because we have the choice? Oh, wow. I don't know. I don't think it was magical. I don't think it called. I don't think it sang. I was like, here's my fruit. Come to me. It wasn't like a musical. It was just, I think he just picked a tree. He says, don't eat of that one. So did God really say you can't eat? No, no, he said we can't eat. We can eat of the trees, just not the one. And then I, we can't even touch it. Lest we die. Now catch this. But the servant said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what is the temptation there? The temptation had nothing to do with eating fruit. Had nothing to do with that. You say, question the word of God. That's beginning. But what is it that the enemy actually does? Now watch it again. You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You know what he's tempting her with? God's holding out on you. That's, that's, the, that's the truth. Trust me, I'm a talking snake. God's holding out. God knows that if you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. So really, what God's telling you to do is keeping you, keeping you away from that which you should really have. Because it had nothing to do with fruit. It had everything to say to her, and it has everything to say to us, hey, God's holding out on you. So just go do it, because it's not going to hurt. In fact, you'll be better for it. Now watch your justification. Watch what happens. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, three justifications, right? Do we do the same thing? God says, don't do this. So we go with the tree was good for food. This is good. This isn't going to hurt anybody. This is good for me. That it was a delight to the eyes. It looks good. Really? Seriously, isn't it fun to look at things that look good? The last one. It was desired to make one wise. This will improve me as a person. I know that God has said this, but I see it differently because I have three reasons and God only has one. Guys, the one reason for God is always going to trump all the justifications that we can come up with. And we have to accept this, that the reason that God actually sets up commandments is because he has our joy in mind. It's the same reason you as parents, those of you that are parents, you set up rules for your kids or your grandkids, wherever they are. There are certain rules that you will have to abide by for your protection. I want you to live and I want you to laugh and I want you to have joy and experience life. That's the reason we put things up. We put guardrails. We put quote unquote commandments and rules in our home so that our kids are protected as best we can. And we love them, but compared to an all loving father, we are evil. Somehow God sets up commandments and rules and Hey, guardrails and walk this way and don't do this and make sure you're doing this. And all of a sudden, we fall into the temptation that Adam and Eve both fell into. He's holding out on you. He knows that if you do this, you'll actually be like this because there's no way he's going to do that. We fall into it just the same. So what happens? She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. 
I think I've shared this before. I always pictured him in a hut, like by himself, like Gilligan, just waiting around, sitting around. She's out there talking to a snake, and he's over here by himself. When you see in Scripture that he's just standing there, like, oh, my gosh, look at that snake talk. He's talking to my woman. (sighs) Pulls out his phone, Instagram, posts that hashtag talking snake. I'm like, why didn't you stop this? Like, you were both there. Then verse 7. He ate it also, verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. That's an awkward realization when you've never known what naked means. Think about it. That's why you have laundry. Because they screwed up. And they, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They tried to cover up their sin, which is the exact same thing that we do. Now, how many of you experienced this? And this is where we're closed. The enemy tempts you, or your flesh tempts you. It's not always the devil. Sometimes it's just our evil desires. But the enemy's tempting you, he's going after you, and you fall into it. Then you experience his wrath, the other side. I can't believe you did that. You call yourself a Christian? You really want to be an impact in the community? You want to be an impact in your family? You can't da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And he just what? He accuses. And it is an onslaught of condemnation. Guys, here's the thing. I never knew spiritual warfare until I said yes to full-time ministry and God opened it up. I just thought, man, I'm going to be a youth pastor. They don't do anything. I was a youth pastor for a long time. I was like, you get to take the kids to the beach and get paid for it? And I get a title of youth pastor? Sick. Now... Oh my gosh, I have a prayer team that I send out emails every Monday. Guys, this is, how I'm, this is where God has, has me going. This is where he has me teaching. Please, please pray, pray, pray. I just know the necessity of people praying constantly. Why? Because the onslaught, and this I'm just speaking personally, and I believe that's because if you can, if you can, guys, if you can slap, around the, slap around the shepherd and get him out of the way, then the sheep are all scattered. The sheep are all affected. Guys, I feel like it's an onslaught all day, every day. All day, every day. So what do I do? Go back to this and hear God say, I redeemed you. You are precious in my eyes and I love you. You, Brian Holland, are mine. And I go back to a passage where even Jesus says, no one can snatch you from my Father's hand. There is an enemy and he is real. But he is defeated. He's defeated. He's just running amok until all of a sudden the end comes. And he's thrown into the lake of fire for all of eternity. But I'm praying that there's just a moment that all of us get to see Jesus hang him like a pinata and we all get some shots. No blindfold pinata. I mean, just like, God, now's the time. Guys, he's real. I remember when I was going through it, and I, I didn't have a whole lot of super deep spiritual conversations with my mom, but there were times where we just kind of talked through some things. I just said, I feel like I'm losing my mind, Mom. I can't stop it. I can't get it to stop. I just feel like horrible and condemned and accused, and I can't get it. And, and she, this is all she said, Brian, he's the king of reruns because he doesn't have anything new. I've never forgotten that. He's the king of reruns. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he's so good at it. 
but he's defeated. He's defeated. You and Jesus are always, always the majority. Always. When you walk into the room with Jesus, always the majority. Don't fear. Don't fear. Let me pray. God, thank you for tonight and our time together. And may we walk in your strength and in your confidence, not in our own. Jesus, as we face temptations and maybe onslaughts from the enemy, God, may we just stand in your truth. God, may we know that you are sovereign over everything. And if for some reason, we can, I know we can keep arguing about, well, why doesn't he just get rid of them now? And why does he just get rid of evil now? God, God, I thank you. We don't have to figure that out. I just prefer that you're with us and we're with you. And God, just help us to keep moving and to walk with you and to trust you in all of this. And may we hear you say the words, you are precious in my eyes and I love you. You are mine. God, thank you. Thanks for attacks, for they draw us closer to you. God, thank you that your sovereign plan always happens. Jesus, we love you. Bless our meals we eat together. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. We'll see you next week for part two. If you can make it, bring people with you as well. Love you more than you know. See you next week.